Hello and welcome to the Credit Union Overtime Podcast, produced and presented by the Credit Union Webinar Network, powered by FinEd. Today, we have Michelle Barlow with us to discuss her webinar on Reg E investigation and requirements for debit card error resolution. Michelle Barlow is the Senior Vice President at Matcha Par, Everything Payments Everywhere, with offices in Wisconsin and Maryland. Before joining the Matcha team in 2009, Michelle spent several years as a corporate trainer in the financial industry. She is responsible for development and execution of association training and certification programs, conference planning, and member service. Michelle is a past member of Not Just Blue Ribbon Panel and currently serves on the APRP Oversight Panel, the Payments Institute Board of Regents, and Not Just LMS Editorial Board. She is active on other national committees and a frequent speaker at industry events. She obtained her AAP certification in 2010, her NCP in 2011, and became an NCP certified trainer in 2012. Michelle holds a bachelor's from the University of Wisconsin. So that, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Michelle, if you just wanted to dive right into it, I have a couple of questions for you regarding your Reg E and debit card error resolution webinar. Absolutely. Yeah. So my first question is, can you give me a bit of background information on Regulation E itself? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad that you asked this question because Regulation E is kind of a misunderstood regulation. So what it is, it's the codification of the Electronic Fund Transfer Act that was passed by Congress and then signed into law in 1978. And if you think about what was going on in the mid 70s, as far as the movement of money, this was really when the concept of moving money electronically for everyday consumers was really coming into prevalence. ATMs became more commonplace around like 1974-ish. ACH started moving payroll electronically in about 1975-ish, and debit cards really came into be in about 1978. So in order to make consumers comfortable with these, and I'm using my air quotes here, newfangled ways of moving money, Congress said, you know what, let's put some protections in place so that consumers are comfortable with the process. And then they don't have to worry that poof, money's just going to disappear from their account because electronic movement of money was kind of a new thing at the time. So the interesting thing about this regulation though is the way it was worded and written back in 1978 still really holds up today. Even though the way that uh, electronic fund transfers are used is so different now than it was 40 odd years ago when this regulation was written, it actually holds up remarkably well. And I think that's interesting. So it's all about protecting consumers. It's pretty actually easy to understand. It has very clear definitions about what types of electronic fund transfers are and are not covered. Most notably that it's a consumer protection regulation. So it doesn't apply to businesses and that's a very important concept. And then the other really big thing that you need to know about Regulation E is that it provides uh, procedures for resolving errors for consumers. It defines what an error is. It lays out very specific timing of what the financial institution needs to do and provides a uh, 
recredit for the consumer if the transaction that they have questions about truly is proven to be an error. So it's all about error resolution for electronic transactions, debit cards, or ACH transactions for all consumers. So that's kind of a little bit of a history and what it's about. Awesome. And you work with a ton of institutions in your line of work. So do you, are there any common or, or huge misconceptions that you see institutions making pretty often um, when it comes to Regulation E? Absolutely. And there are really two big concepts in Regulation E that I see financial institutions of all sizes, large, small, doesn't matter, that have the most challenges with. The first one is timing, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And the second one deals with how the regulation works with or interacts with uh, private sector card network rules like the visa rules or the MasterCard rules. So those two things are kind of the big misconceptions. So let's talk about the timing issue first. The biggest confusion with timing deals with when an account holder has to report an error to their financial institution. Because there's a big misconception that if an error isn't reported within 60 days of it happening, then the financial institution is off the hook to help the consumer. And that really couldn't be further from the truth because the answer here is that there is no timing requirement that an account holder has to claim an error that the financial institution is relieved of their investigation obligation. So I know that the listeners are probably thinking, well, wait a minute, Michelle, what about the provision in Reg E that says the consumer has 60 days from the statement date to report an error? And that's in the regulation. It absolutely is. However, that 60-day requirement is for the consumer to avoid liability for subsequent transactions, meaning errors that happen after 60 days from the statement date that shows that first error. So the financial institution always has an investigative responsibility for the first 60 days, even if the error is reported years later. There's no statute of limitations in Regulation E that the financial institution doesn't have to at least work to try to help the account holder recover those funds. And that's a really huge misconception. So an FI cannot turn an account holder away and say, I don't have to help you if the error happened more than 60 days ago from when the most recent statement was cut. So that's a really important concept and a really big misconception. And one of those things that I see financial institutions doing wrong all the time, if that happens to be your error resolution uh, procedures at your FI, it's time to revisit your procedures because you always have to look and see if you can help them and do your investigation. So that's misconception number one. Now, the second misconception is that Regulation E works with the card network rules. And that's really not the case either. Regulation E is completely silent on and sometimes runs completely contrary to what the card network rules say. So what the visa rules say or the MasterCard rules say. 
the important thing for all financial institutions to remember, especially when it deals with error resolution around a disputed debit card transaction, for instance, is that you must at a minimum comply with Regulation E. And then if the card network rules apply or the ACH rules provide the financial institution with an opportunity to be made whole for the funds that they had to credit out to their account holder to resolve an error, then that's great. But the hard truth is that Regulation E doesn't care if the financial institution ever gets paid back for funds that they had to credit to their account holder to resolve an error. It's not here to protect financial institutions. It's really only here to protect consumers. And I hear all of the time, well, that's not fair. And you're right, it's not. Financial institutions are going to take losses on debit card transactions that you don't have chargeback rights for because the card network rules don't provide for chargeback rights. But your account holder is still going to get made whole. And that's just misconception number two. So biggest ones that I see and hear about the most often. Awesome. Now, um, do we as financial institutions have liability for a transaction done with a third-party payment application like Cash App or Venmo, something like that? So this is a huge topic in the industry right now because those third-party payment applications, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, all of those are so uh commonly used now, especially by, you know, those kids, I'm dating myself here, I'm a little bit older than the average, uh, you know, user of Cash App or Venmo. But the really important thing for a financial institution to know about transactions that their account holders do through Cash App or Venmo is how did that transaction settle? And that is going to help you determine whether or not the financial institution has Reg E air resolution burdens around those transactions. So for example, if your account holder has a Cash App or a Venmo and they have a prepaid account that is owned by Cash App or Venmo, so it's pre-funded, the money sits in an account owned by Cash App or Venmo. If there's an error, on a transaction that settles in that prepaid account that's owned by Cash App or Venmo, then the error resolution burden falls on Cash App or Venmo and is not the financial institution's responsibility. However, and more commonly, I think, is that the Cash App or the Venmo is linked to a debit card that is issued by your financial institution. And if that's the case and there's an error on that Cash App or Venmo that is settling on the card rails at an, on a card issued by your FI, then your financial institution does have Reg E error resolution responsibilities. So that's really important information to have. Now I'm gonna lay out a couple of things that why that are important. The first one is, if you have an account holder who has a transaction that settles on a prepaid cash app account, it is really important that you understand and that you help your account holder understand that there is not a customer service phone number for cash app available on their website. And if you Google cash app customer service phone number, you're gonna get some options. 
they are all scam numbers. There is not a phone number that you can call to contact Cash App. They have to do all of their error resolution contacting and um, you know having conversations with Cash App through their website. There's not a phone number to call. And that's really important. That's a good education piece for all of your account holders. Don't Google a phone number for Cash App. It's not right and you will get scammed as a result of it. Um, the next thing to remember about any transactions done through those third-party payment applications is that Regulation E doesn't make any happiness guarantees. So if you purchased something and you used Cash App or Venmo that are linked to your financial institution's debit card, let's say you bought a puppy on Facebook Marketplace or you bought concert tickets from somebody that you saw on social media, you did the purchase. That doesn't meet the investigation or the definition of an error under Regulation E. If there is no puppy, because there's almost never actually a puppy on the other end of that transaction, or if the concert tickets end up being counterfeit, there are no happiness guarantees in Regulation E. We're only concerned about, did you authorize the transaction? And if you bought a puppy on Facebook Marketplace, you authorize the purchase of the puppy. If you have bought concert tickets, you authorize the purchase of the concert tickets. So those are not regulation E issues at all. There may be recourse through the card network rules, but Reggie doesn't um, have anything to say about that. So financial institutions need to know when Reggie does and does not apply. And it does not apply to happiness with the product or service. So that's another thing that you really need to know about those third party payment applications is not every dispute your account holder has needs to be resolved under regulation E. So that can help you if you fully understand um, what the real issue is that your account holder is reporting to you. So those are things that you need to take into consideration, but don't Google a phone number for Cash App. You will get scammed. <laughs> awesome. That's great to know. Um, and so can you give us a few examples of unauthorized transactions? Sure. I'm going to give you an example of something that truly is unauthorized that does meet the definition of an error under Regulation E. And the best way to give an example is to tell a little story. So let's pretend that I'm at the store and I'm paying for a good or a service and I open up my wallet and I decide to use my credit card instead of my debit card. Okay, so I pull my credit card out of my wallet. And when I do that, I accidentally pull my debit card out and it drops on the floor. And if I'm in a place that's carpeted, I don't hear it fall, I'm not paying that much attention, I'm in a hurry, I use my debit or my credit card and I move on with my day. But the person standing behind me in line at the checkout of whatever I'm, place I'm at buying something is not an honest person. And they don't say, hey, ma'am, you dropped your card. They pick it up and they go, woohoo, free money. So they take my debit card home now, they're not going to use it at the checkout terminal right at the store because they don't know my PIN, but they can take it home, log on to Amazon.com and purchase something online in a situation where they don't need my PIN. And so they have now spent money on my account that I didn't authorize. Okay, so if I drop my card and somebody picks it up and uses it. That is unauthorized. I never, ever gave them permission to do that transaction. Another thing that you could think of as the definite authorized 
uh, transaction would be, let's say that you are a younger person and you're hanging out in a, a drinking establishment and you meet somebody who you're interested in getting to know better. So you hand them your phone and say, hey, put your phone number in my, in my phone so I can call you later or text you later probably because you know kids, they don't actually call, they text. And while the other person is got your phone in their possession, they decide to go into Cash App and Cash App themselves $400 from your account. You did not give them permission to do that. That's an unauthorized transaction as well. So those are just two examples, one for you know the more seasoned among us and one for those kids to give an example of when you can report a transaction as an error. Awesome, thanks for those examples. All right, well here at the end, I'd like to take a moment now um, and allow our listeners a chance to get to know you a bit better. So Michelle, what is your favorite part of your job? Um, really, this is one of my favorite things that I do. I am 1000% a payments nerd. And it's, you know, it makes me not a lot of fun at parties, but I am passionate about talking about payments with other financial institution employees or just people in the general public, although most of the general public doesn't really care. Um, so this is my favorite thing. I love educating financial institutions and users of the payments networks on what they can and can't do and how to maintain compliance and make sure that they're handling all of their payment transactions appropriately. So this right here, this is my favorite thing. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're sure happy to have you too. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and okay, so last but not least, what does, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Matcha PAR has to offer? Oh, sure. So Matcha is a payment association with I think 11 or 10 payment associations in the country. And what we do is we're membership organizations where financial institutions or even corporations that move it all in the payment space, be it ACH, be it debit card, be it check, um, are members of us. And we provide them with this. We give them education about the rules and regulations behind the different payment systems, including faster payment options like RTP through the clearinghouse and the soon-to-be FedNow system. So we provide education and support around payment of all varieties. Then from there, Matcha has a subsidiary company that does compliance services for payments of all varieties. We do ACH audits and risk assessments. We do um, remote deposit capture or things on the more check rails, consulting on that as well. So those are our two main things that we do. And we have memberships pretty much from coast to coast. We have an office in Maryland, we have an office in Wisconsin, and we even have a membership group in Hawaii. So we're all over the country. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for that little summary, Michelle, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, I'm so glad you have me. You can access and purchase Michelle's webinar, Reg E Investigation and Requirements for Debit Card Error Resolution, at our website using the link in our show notes. You can also visit us at cuwebtraining.com. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook on the Credit Union Webinar Network pages. Before I sign off, I would like to thank all of our state association partners, our topic experts, and you, the listeners. Thank you for all that you do to support your members. Thanks for listening in.